Good evening, my fellow Americans. Take the red pill. We're at war with the most dangerous enemy that has ever faced mankind in his long climb from the swamp to the stars. The disastrous rise of misplaced power exists. All we have built, all we have worked for, would be destroyed. There is nothing the political establishment will not do. And this nation will not be fully free until all its citizens are free. Our arms must be mighty, ready for instant action. These criminals cannot be rewarded. So that no potential aggressor may be tempted to risk his own destruction. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. They're coming after you and I'm just standing in their way. Here I am. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. The cost of freedom is always high. Those who had the most to lose did the least to prevent its happening. Our movement is about replacing a failed and corrupt political establishment well, I think it's time we ask ourselves if we still know the freedoms that were intended for us by the Founding Fathers. This is a crusade! This is a holy war against the deep state! We never wanted to be right, but yet things are all adding up to the firestorm. Beginning to look a lot like Christmas Everywhere you go Take a look in the five and ten Glistening once again With candy canes and silver lanes aglow It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas Toys in every store but the prettiest sight to see is the holly that will be on your own front door. A pair of hop-along boots and a pistol that chooses the wish of Barney and Ben. Dolls that'll talk and we'll go for a walk is the hope for Janice and Jen. And Mom and Dad can hardly wait for school to start again. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Everywhere you go Now there's a tree in the Grand Hotel One in the park as well The sturdy kind that doesn't mind the snow It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas <laughs> Soon the bells will start And the thing that will make them ring Is, is the carol that you sing Right within your heart A pair of hop-along boots and a pistol that shoots Is the wish of Barney and Ben Dolls that'll talk and we'll go for a walk Is the hope for Janice and Jen And the mom and dad can hardly wait for school to start again It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas Soon the bells will start the thing that will make them ring is the carol that you sing right within your heart. 
Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world. My name is Josh. Uh, Vince Tagliavia is out sick tonight, and he will hopefully be back tomorrow night. This is the Red Pill Project's Daily Dose. We're live with you Monday through Thursday, 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Friday nights at 9.30 p.m. with the Conversations on the Fringe. This is where we bring you the unfolding global conspiracy of communism coming to the United States of America. Tonight's show is Uncharted Narratives, and we're going to talk about some very, very interesting things, including your health. We're going to talk about the potential pandemic that is is coming about right now, what you need to do, how to prepare, some very interesting discoveries that just recently happened, which we'll talk about later in the show. And then we're going to get into what is happening between Russia, Europe, the United States, the West, and the BRICS, and how that is all unraveling. But first, I'm going to bring my guests in tonight, Kurt and Kristen Ludlow from Pet Club 247. What's up, guys? How are we doing tonight? Fantastic. How are you doing, Josh? <laughs> I'm doing well. I'm doing well, man. I, I appreciate you guys joining me. Song, man. <laughs> You, you, I was, I was, I was grooving it, man. I was, I was, I'm not going to lie. Loving it. <laughs> uh, for, for those that don't know, one of uh, the sponsors of our show is at pet club two, four, seven. And uh, I just been overwhelmed with the quality of their products, how awesome their products really are. Um, and I know I've been getting, I, I can't even explain. It. I've been getting tons of feedback because we have a private social network and we have lots of people that can just direct message me all the time. And I get people, message me all different things all the time and the, the last month and a half has just been dude these products are awesome dude yeah. i love this product like i'm feeling great like my dog's feeling great my cat's feeling great <clears throat> so you know i i would love for you to guys kind of maybe give us an overview of the various different products they have there and maybe a little bit about the science that'd be awesome sure absolutely well we you put you said it best when you started about preparing for the upcoming pandemic, whatever it's going to be next. We know they're going to always throw something at us. It's nothing new that we're experiencing. And so the best thing that we can do for our pets and for ourselves always is keeping our immune system strong, keeping it supported, keeping the armor that God gave all of us and all of our animals strong and supported so that no matter what they're throwing at us in the food, in the water, in the air, through sicknesses, whatever it might be, our body has the best chance of being able to fight back and our pets have the best chance of being able to handle whatever's come in their direction. So what we have put together is just some treats for your pets, treats for your kids, treats for yourself even that have an immune supporting mushroom in it called the Coriolis versicolor mushroom. And the reason you've been getting so many so much positive feedback is because there are over 400 published studies on this mushroom that researchers smarter than any of us <laughs> that have all found the same thing, that this is just a whole food that supports the immune system. And then the immune system can go in and do all kinds of things for the body. So whether you're being proactive and preventative, or if you, your pet's experiencing something or you or someone you love is experiencing something that you want the body to address, getting this particular strain of the mushroom into the body as fast as possible is always going to be your best bet. And so we have a bunch of different ways to get that into the system for people. It's awesome. And, you know, a lot of people have various different immuno, uh, immunocompromised uh, problems, right? Illnesses, uh, whether it's the, the jab that they had, right? The COVID jab, which I got some information on that today that just blew my mind. I couldn't believe it. Um, but then I, I know some people who have MS and a lot of the people with the MS are reaching out to me and they're like, 
Um, you know, what should I do? How much should I take? What, what is a good dose for people who are maybe immunocompromised or have these immuno, uh, uh, immune system problems, these immune system illnesses? Um, you know, you have an average person who is just, you know, a regular average person and isn't sick, doesn't have any illness or disease, you know, maybe one or two a day. And then maybe someone who maybe has immune system problems, maybe they should be taking more. Do, do you have any guys like suggestions? I know you can't give recommendations because you're not doctors, right? But what are your thoughts on that? What would you do in that case? I think that's a good one. Yeah. What we've experienced to be the most effective over years now is if, if you're just being preventative and proactive and you just want general health and well-being for your pets, you're just going to give them whatever the suggested amount is based off of their weight. For humans taking the capsules, the mushrooms in the capsules, you're going to take one capsule for every 50 pounds. Okay. Now, if you or your pets are dealing with something some concerns that you might have that are not necessarily life-threatening, like, like an autoimmune, right? It's uncomfortable, it's inconvenient, it can be painful, um, it can be debilitating at times, but it's not necessarily life-threatening. Then we recommend two to three times the suggested amount. Now, if you are dealing with something more catastrophic and life-threatening, like very severe concerns, then you want to do four to five times the suggested amount. And the reason why we recommend that is because, again, this is not a medicine. This is not some concoction formula that we put together. It's just a mushroom that naturally grows out in nature. It's just a food. I think someone just said, I saw some in the, the forest this weekend while cutting trees. <laughs> like, yes, they grow everywhere. It's just a food. You can't overdose. You can't Get, you can't get addicted. There's no side effects. You know, it doesn't interact with any medications or treatments. So it's just a food that feeds the immune system. So the more that you can get into the immune system faster, then the quicker that the immune system can get into action, especially if you are immunocompromised or have autoimmune. This is not a booster. That's very important. This is not an immune stimulant. This is a modulator. It's immune support. So it's very different. So I myself used to have an autoimmune disease and uh, I was having seizures. I was passing out. I had all these issues. I was at like a hundred pounds and I'm five, nine. So you can see how horrible that was. And um, I started taking this mushroom. I was taking six of them a day. And I, uh, after five and a half months, when I went, got more blood work done, the autoimmune marker was completely gone. I felt perfectly fine. My gluten intolerance was gone. My inflammation levels, which were 522, were back down below one like they're supposed to be. And that was with an autoimmune problem which they never even figured out what it was because I started taking <laughs> mushrooms. So we never even found out which autoimmune problem it was. So especially if you're dealing with something like that, we recommend getting this mushroom into your system because it will help. Um, it will help the immune system, which is just confused. That's the only problem. It gets confused and it starts attacking like good things, good cells and, you know, normal, normal body function. So what this does is it modulates the immune system. So it no longer attacks the body and goes back to helping the body instead. Well said and, and very interesting too. You know, um, you, you said that there are no side effects of this. And, and I love that, that perspective because we, we growing up in modern society that believe that drugs have side effects. And this is actually a marketing tool created by the pharmaceutical industry to trick people into believing that some people might have side effects. And actually there's no such thing as side effects in drugs There is only effects. Right. Drugs have effects, period. And Dr. Brian Artis amazingly said this one day, he's like, you know, I was 
learning from this one MD and he was telling me that you know drugs don't have side effects. Drugs have effects and you're going to feel that effect and it's going to either be very, very profound or it's going to be very, very subtle and it doesn't matter. You're still getting that effect and, and it's doing the damage that what that effect is meant to do or it's doing the positive benefit that what it's supposed to do. But, you know, with these mushrooms types of things, I mean, these are things that grow in the wild. They are literally food. Um, and this one is a special derivation in the sense of how it's grown and how it's harvested. But what it does is it goes in there and it helps your immune system modulate against various different types of illnesses and diseases. And, and um, I think it has something to do with um I forget, you're explaining it last time in the sense of how the modulation actually operates. Yeah. And so go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, it's so different because we're again, we're so conditioned like to treat symptoms, right? We go to the doctor, what's your blood pressure? You know, what's your blood sugar? What's your cholesterol? And they find all these things that are supposed to be within a range and that we feel perfectly fine. But we go in for just a regular checkup and we find out we have high blood pressure. So then they're like, take this medicine for the blood pressure, this medicine for the cholesterol, this medicine, even in the supplement world it's the same thing an oil for this an herb for that you know and all these things and and they're meant to help these different things but there's a root cause there's a root source for whatever symptoms that you're experiencing and the immune system knows exactly what that is it's the best medicine it's your best doctor it goes directly to the source and address it addresses it right there so if we can focus our attention and our energy on supporting the immune system so that it can do what it was designed to do because it's incredibly intelligent it prioritizes what needs to happen in the body and then it can go in and work on the body in the ways that it needs to in the order that it needs to happen. So we have people asking, you know, my eyesight, I, I have um, arthritis and all of these different things. And what can I expect? And yes, the immune system will address all of those issues. If you have a hernia, whatever it might be, the immune system will address all those issues, but it might not be in the order that you're expecting. So be prepared when you start taking it. You know, we have people that are, I took it for this reason, but then, you know, I took it for my arthritis, but then my hernia disappeared. And then the arthritis and inflammation, you know, it's just so interesting how right. the immune system goes in a specific order and does a specific thing. Well, it does yeah. the Dave Ramsey uh, perspective on debt, right? It snowballs, <laughs> snowballs. it. It starts yeah. with the smallest debts first and, and then, then builds its way up and snowballs it to the big ones. And I think, yeah, I think that's exactly. a good perspective. Um, you know, one of the things that got me on this was what, what Chris Eric's baby Trump had said, uh, is that when he went and tested the various levels of his immune system, when he had cancer and he saw this multiple in a uh, multiple X increase mm -hmm. of kind of where his immune system was at, he was just like, Whoa, I, I'm pretty convinced because he should have been at a degraded uh, point within his immune system. But instead it was much, much stronger than it actually is. Absolutely. There's a lot of different uh, people out there that have ways that they can they can gauge what your immune system is at. And it, it's really funny that in our modern medicine, there's no way to do that. All these markers that they can find, but they can. So it was crazy to see where, you know, Chris's was. And then once he got to the point where he's able to be no evidence of disease where it was. And it just proves to you that if you can keep that immune system functioning yeah. properly, then uh, you can alter any type of circumstance from the smallest of things to most catastrophic. And so it's important that people understand, you know, why this strain of this mushroom. And as we kind of mentioned earlier, this is the most potent strain out there. The 200 strains that are available 
most potent strain. We have a proprietary way to extract it, uh, which makes it even more potent. And so this is why we get such great results. It's not that you couldn't get results from others, but if you want the best, the best that you can put in, the yeah. quick results, um, we have countless testimonials that people can go view, can read about and understand what this thing's doing. It's just incredible what's going on. I saw one of the viewers had asked, you know, how many do you take or when should you take them? The best time to take them is uh, in the morning as soon as you wake up mm -hmm. on an empty stomach and then take them before bed. And some of the things you should notice aside from, you know, helping fix things in your body is you'll notice more energy. Yeah. You'll notice that you're sleeping better. Um, typically within, you know, a short period of time, 10 to 15 days, you start seeing these different things happen. And mm -hmm. so it's really amazing. Now with our animals, we see it a little bit quicker Faster. and that's because their body temperature is higher than ours. And you see it happen quicker. They're seeing, you know, results in four to 10 days and all the time we're getting testimonials. It's amazing just what's coming in. Yeah. And I know quite a few people, I, I've had a few, um, I don't have the website open to look at the messages, but I had a few people actually message me about their pets, that their pets are doing better. Uh, they have some elderly pets out there. I th there's a cat and a dog specifically I know about. Um, and one of them was, you know, the cat was having joint problems, uh, walking really slow, wasn't able to jump up from the couch. I know you guys had the same comment the last time you're on. Um, and now that cat is way more mobile and making a really good recovery. Um, and, and that's amazing because one of the things that, I think that we fail to understand about our body is that inflammation isn't a bad thing. It's a sign that there is something wrong. And that is your immune system actually kind of wrapping itself around an area saying, hey, I need to fix this. That's what inflammation is. But chronic inflammation is a problem that, hey, you have an immunosuppressive system that your immune system can't do the job that it's meant to do. So you have a, a inflammation building up throughout your body because everything continuously is getting injured over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so you have to take that small ball approach. And I, and I like, look, I'm, I'm going to use that from now on. You guys can <laughs> use that too. Use the Dave Ramsey, taking away that <laughs> snowball. I'm running with it. But it's just, it's so, it's so true. And then especially with our pets, you know, like the worst feeling that we can feel as pet parents is watching them suffer a lot of times unnecessarily, mm -hmm. because now that we've learned what we've learned over these last years about what's in the food and what's in the water and what's in the air and what's in the toys and the treats and the, just, I mean, even a toy, you know, how toxic these toys are for them and the dyes and the preservatives and all of that. And we learn all of this and then we're watching them suffer with all of these things that I don't know how old anybody else is on this, but 20 years ago, they were not dealing with the same things that they're dealing with today at the young ages that they're dealing with them today. So this is obviously something environmental that's affecting them and their well-being. Mm -hmm. And so we're watching them suffer, knowing that we're responsible for them, knowing that we're their voice, we're making their decisions all of the decisions for them. And so it's really encouraging to know that there are options out there that are really going to make a difference and help them, their bodies to turn around and they'll live a better quality of life. Cause what's the point of having them with us longer if there's no quality of life, you know, if they're just medicated all the time until like, their liver gives up, like our friend's dog Zenta, they pretty much told her, Oh, just keep her on these narcotics and steroids until her liver gives out yeah. and that, and then she'll be done. 
And that, that was supposed to be the answer for all of her suffering. We get her on these cookies called the mush puppies. And four days later, she's jumping on the couch. 30 days later, she's off of all of the medication. She lived another four and a half years to 19 and a half years old she was when she passed. And she didn't even pass from getting sick. She passed from an accident. So that should be the norm. That should be what we're experiencing. And that's what we should be expecting. And so as their voice, it's so important that, you know, that's why we're so grateful for you and sharing your platform, because we need to be well-informed because well-informed people make better decisions and not only informed with ourselves, our own health and our pets health, but also informed with who and what we're supporting with our dollars and mm -hmm. where we're using our resources and what we're supporting with our resources. That is equally important because we keep giving all of these resources that we're earning to these corporations and these companies and this system that doesn't give a crap about any of us or any of our, or our pets or anything else. And we just keep feeding this beast and expecting something different to happen, which I'm pretty sure is the definition of insanity, right? Doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting different results. Yep. So it's so important that we're coming together, sharing ideas, sharing solutions, sharing experiences and challenging each other to do something different. Let's let's starve them with our dollars. Let's support, you know, let's create a movement and a revolution where we're all working together, supporting each other so we can completely break free of that system, you know, because mm -hmm. it's designed to just keep us doing the same things over and over. And we just complain about it and feel like a victim for our whole lives. And we teach it to our children, you know. Well, you know, and, and it's interesting too, because looking at that in perspective, it, it's number one was debt. Number two was health. And now it's information and kind of how they attack these various different systems. And when we look at our elderly, I mean, if we went back 40 years, you know, you have your 85 year old grandparent going out for their morning jog and completely clear and concise in their speech and, you know, very, very vibrant during the holidays. And then one day they just pass and it's like, oh, my God, it was so sudden. Didn't, didn't expect it. Now you go look at those 85 year old elderly grandparents and they're just they're Joe Biden. So I go, uh, <laughs> it is because of the, the farmers. <laughs> I'm sorry, but it's because of the pharmaceuticals that they're putting these people on. It's because of the drug use that's starting in their 60s and the 70s because they go to the doctor and say, doctor, my elbow hurts, doctor, my knee or my back. And it's like, well, take these and take these. And I, I got a few friends that are in their 70s and their 80s and they have plastic baggies, like the big gallon baggies full of pills that they take a day. And it's like, what are you doing? Like, like, no. Like, if I got to that point where, like, the function in the morning, I had to pop 52 pills, just take me in the backyard, put a little cake in front of me, say happy birthday, shotgun to the back of the head, and let me go. You know, right. like, I don't want to be that person. You know, yeah. that, that's not me. That's not that person. It's like those dogs that you're talking about. You know, they put them on these narcotics. They put them on these drugs. These dogs are just like, you know, <sighs> like, that's yeah. what my dog does. My dog, when you get her on drugs, she's just like, <sighs> You know, and just flops down. She sits here for four hours. Then they'll stand up, walk to the door, flop down in front of the door. I know that means it's time to go out. I'll take her out. I got her off of that stuff. And it's, I want to go out. I want to do this. She got all this energy. And see, it's the same thing with other people. Is you get them off of these pills. You get them off of these pharmaceuticals, which have effects on how your body metabolizes 
energy. It has effects on how your body produces proteins. It has effects on how your body breaks down toxins. You get them off of that shit and people become vibrant again. And, and that's the beauty of mushrooms. And, you know, I know, I know we don't have the psilocybin ones, right? But I, I have a friend who's uh, um, a, a, an Afghan vet and he has some very bad PTSD. Mm-hmm. So every time I go over to his house, our, our, our kids are friends. Every time I go over to his house, I'm like, hey, man, <clears throat> you know, like throwing some in his hand. Right. And like I'm getting him out of line from some store in Florida. Right. But I'm like, hey, and he's like, oh, my God, man, hey. you know, he pops <laughs> in his pocket. And like I talked to him about it. And he's like, like, he's like the only thing that helps, man. I sleep like yeah. a baby. I have great dreams. Like my energy is up. I don't think about bad things and it completely changes. I said, well, you need to start taking regular mushrooms that don't have psychoactive effects because guess what? The, the, the focus, the lion's mane, all of these different things are going to start reorganizing your neurological pathways. They're going to start reinforcing them. There's study after study of how mushrooms and us have so many various different similarities that eating these things go into our system and they start to regenerate areas that we never thought they could regenerate. Uh, I was telling a, a friend today, <clears throat> uh, they had um, this person had a very, very bad brain tumor. They had to have reconstructive surgery. Um, and I said, I said, frankincense. I said, firstly, is go to this link, check out these mushrooms. Yep. I sent them over there. And then the second thing I did is I said, go get some frankincense. Mm -hmm. And I said, every morning, five, six times a day, put some, put some on your temples. Because frankincense has study after study to restructure and redevelop brain tissue in people who have had parts of their brains removed. Frankincense is this miracle drug, if you want to call it, that goes in and completely starts to redevelop brain matter. And people are like, what? That's impossible. Go read the studies. It's out there. And, and here's the thing is the pharmaceutical companies don't want you to know this because it's so readily available. They can't control it. And that's the thing about mushrooms is they can't patent it. They can't control it. And they don't want you to know about it. So they're going to suppress it in every ways, means, and shapes, forms possible. And I mean, we are truly in a revolution of health these days and mushrooms are coming and rising up to this. You know, I, I remember what mid 2000s, 2008, 2010, 2012, we started this health revolution in the country. This is where everybody's like, I'm vegan. I'm vegetarian. And like, you'd swap back and forth. Now everybody's like, fuck that. I'm carnivore. I'm carnivore and I'm not eating. Right. Like, you go uh, vegan, vegetarian, then you're like, ah, that's not working. I'm going to eat only meat or I'm not going to eat. Like, <laughs> like guys, you got to find this mid-level between a little bit of everything, right? But, uh, you know, we go through these health revolutions. And, um, you know, David Avocado there, uh, he, he brought a lot about this about there's Food Inc., Food Matters, all these various different documentaries. Um, and we've come a long way from there. But one thing that has been shown is that Food is the one of the number one things that goes into your body that transforms you into who you are. So if you have aches, if you have pains, if you have illness and sickness and, and, and there's something wrong with your system that isn't genetically derived like the one to two percent of the U world population that has something like that, then it's most likely either A, the air you're breathing, B, the water you're drinking, C, the food and the diet that you have. Or D, the electromagnetic energy that is accumulating around you. It's one of those four things. And, and, and 
it's so simple when you realize that I only have to look at four different things in my life that change to live a healthier lifestyle. And well, and the fifth thing, your right. ass, your ass. I mean, you got to actually do things, right? Yeah. Well, and on top of that, because something that I've been made very, I've learned a lot about is also the stuff we're putting onto our body. The lotion, mm. is like your skin is your biggest organ. So what are you putting all over your whole body and how is that affecting what level, what metals are in it, what toxins are in it, what, you know, all of that stuff. It's literally coming at us from every direction. (laughs) I think that that is a huge one that is incredibly overlooked. Uh, Mm -hmm. Shampoo. Uh, like I do, so I, I've been growing the beard, right? And so I use salves, I use all different types of stuff and I put it in there and I'll usually try it for three days and see how my face reacts, yeah. right? Castor oil is the only damn thing that I can put in there that actually works any degree. It grows it fast, it makes it healthy, it's soft, it feels great. It's also good for my skin. I had a blemish on my skin the other day. I put a little castor oil on there for a few days, boom, gone, penetrated, you know, there's things out there that are good for you. And there's things out there that probably are. And if you look in the back of something and you see a long list of stuff that you can't pronounce, probably best not to buy it. And I mean, I I do this all the time now. And I like, I don't use lotion. I don't use sun tanning lotion. That is one of the worst things in the world. People want to know why we have a melanoma uh, epidemic in this country. It's It's because of suntan lotion. Not from the sun. No, the sun. I mean, the reason you sunburn is because your body isn't acclimated to the sun because you're putting oils all over it. It's so crazy. And when you learn this stuff, you know, like, so the the reason that we wear sunglasses, right? And we wear hats and then we get these bad sunburns because your eyes, the sun is supposed to hit your eyes and tell that's how your body knows the degree of intensity of the sun as it is hitting your skin. Mm-hmm. And, and then your skin makes its own natural sunscreen called melanin. And that's how we get tans is because it's our literally our body making its own natural sunscreen. But we, you know, we're convinced to do put on the sunscreen, wear sunglasses, you know, do all this. And that's the that's what's causing all of the problems. It's unbelievable how duped we've been all this time. They really got us. The sunglass thing is interesting because they did a study on people who wear sunglasses mostly throughout their day. And they found that they have a 33% drop in their health just from wearing sunglasses. It's the most photoreceptive area on your body, but your skin also has photoreceptive cells on it. And they're continuously going around the light around them and saying, Hey, what do we got going out here? And it also controls your circadian rhythms. And this is one of the main reasons that people can't sleep at night like me who is a night owl insomniac because this is a blue screen right they say the blue screen of death that wasn't chosen for uh, just because that's what microsoft defaults to because the blue light is literally keeping you up and this is a blue light you know it was interesting um there was uh some research done on cell phones and so i can turn my cell phone off right now and there's going to be a low pulsed hum coming from it at about four hertz now that four hertz hum 
actually is what puts you in a very susceptible brain state. And so when you turn your phone on, it's actually using what's called the isotronic technology. So remember the Monroe Institute, the gateway experience where they did the hemisync technology. I got the CDs right over here where they basically produce two uh, high pitched tones and then your brain can't decipher between the two. So it takes the median. So it'd be like five Hertz, four Hertz, eight Hertz, 12 Hertz, Schumann resonance, these types of things. So they are utilizing isotronic, which doesn't have to go in one ear or the other. Your brain just kind of uh, filters out one uh, one frequency and then the low frequency is what it actually resonates to. And so your phone right now is actually producing tones to either put you in delta, theta, or alpha brainwave states. And when you open up TikTok or t- uh, Twitter or, or Facebook, those apps are actually playing subtones in the backdrop, synchronizing your brain to it. So it's not only the blue light that makes you susceptible, it's also a sub audio signal that is being put out by your cell phone to put you in a highly receptive and uh, susceptible state while taking in information. I, I mean, unbelievable kind of what is actually happening out there in our world today. And, you know, we have to protect ourselves. And, and here's the thing about that is your phone can make you sick, whether people want to believe this or not. Joe Dispenza, Joe Dispenza said this best. He goes, can your thoughts make you sick? Right. Have you yeah. ever, you know, have you ever, oh no, I'm getting sick. Oh no, I'm getting sick. And can your thoughts make, yeah, absolutely. Your thoughts have a profound effect on your emotional system. Your emotional system then produce stress and anxiety, which will suppress the immune system, which will make you more susceptible to get sick. Because, well, then can your thoughts make you well? And yeah. that is an absolute truth. We have the nocebo, the placebo effects. And so now if we take that in the context, if the information that you're taking in in a highly susceptible state is putting you in a depressive state or a, uh, a negative emotional state or an immunosuppressant state, there's actually the, there's a variation of the delta wave frequency that puts you in an immunosuppressed state. And so they can literally make you sick with your cell phone. They can make you sick with 5G antennas. And this isn't like pseudoscience. This is legit stuff. And so it's important that we have the right levels of protection out there for our immune system to modulate our immune system and boost our immune system in the right way to where when we are under attack, we have the proper line of defense in place to actually go out there and protect us, especially now with all the pandemic stuff that is starting to circulate back around. Yeah. And it's election year. It's election year. They're not being very creative. They just keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. It's actually embarrassing for them, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's just the same thing over and over. <laughs> it, 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 well, and and that's what they do. I mean, they don't change the playbook because it works so well, right? And you know, it until to- it doesn't. Until it doesn't, and that's the key right now. Is we're coming to that precipice. Yep. Until it doesn't. And who decides when it doesn't work anymore? We do. Us. We get to decide when it stops working. Absolutely. And, and, and I think that that's one of the key factors that played in the 2020 is that was probably the last time that that system was going to work and they realized it. And now they're in this pickle and globalism is pushing in. They're going to try to uh, rain, holy hell and chaos down onto the world. But I don't think that they're going to be very successful. I don't think that we're going to have an election in 2024. We'll see, but uh, it's still open. But I think that people I've been, I've been telling people because <clears throat> we have a lot of weather changes that are occurring right now too. 
Uh-huh. And this is actually the first segment I'm going to talk about here in a minute uh, on my show. But one of the things that I've been talking about for decades, a decade, well, since 2010. So in 2010, I made a prediction. Um, <clears throat> I was watching some solar activity. And I said, oh, in the next uh, week or two weeks, we're going to have a massive earthquake within this area. And that's when we had the Haitian earthquake um, in 2010. And it was about a week later. And I said, okay, and two weeks later, and I made these predictions on an online uh, forum too. And they were still posted up until about a year ago, but that forum is now offline. But I have it on one of my shows where I go and I show people the forum postdated two weeks before that actual earthquake happened. And then I made a prediction that there will be a counteracting earthquake um, off the coast of Peru. And so sure, sure enough, about a week and a half later, there is a counteractive uh, earthquake. And the reason I, I understood this is because <laughs> our weather, our system of Earth is not a, a, a closed system. It, it's an open system with our sun and all the other planets in our solar system and then with our galaxy. And we have kind of this electromagnetic field that science really doesn't know how it's produced. Uh, but basically you have to have a moving electric field in order to produce in a moving a magnetic field. And what we have is we have a, a liquid molten iron core that nice. is con- highly compressed, which means that it oscillates. And as it mm-hmm. oscillates, it vibrates. And this produces a magnetic field. Now that rate of oscillation and vibration, which basically produces the circulation and then that goes around the conductive nickel outer core produces a a magnetic electromagnetic field. The amount of compression onto it is the same thing as the piezoelectric effect. The amount of pressure induced onto a crystalline structure, the higher the energy voltage or frequency that you're going to get out of it towards its resonant frequency. And so in understanding that, then you have to understand is that if we have the outer core and the mantle, and then we have the surface layers with tectonic plates, how do you alleviate pressure from the core? Well, you have to eject all that magma from that area to alleviate pressure in one degree or to another degree. And the earth is in a continuous process of rebalance of increasing and decreasing pressure on the core to strengthen or weaken its electric fields during certain times. And what you see is that fluctuation happens during solar maximums and solar minimums, which are about 11.3 year periods. And right now we're moving into a solar maximum in 2012. We're in a solar maximum. And the earth will have a a weaker magnetic field during solar minimums and a a stronger magnetic field during solar maximums. Well, you have what's called a super cycle on top of your solar maximums. These are like 122 year periods, 244 year periods. And these are where like another phase of a cycle comes in. And what actually happens is, is you see an increase in the propensity of those solar cycles. And the reason that is, And this is really cool to explain. Um, At the center of our galaxy, we have a few black holes. Now, black holes, um, they're kind of like, if you want to look at them as like one-dimensional objects, is they have what's called a discretion disk that goes parallel to the event horizon. And that is the strongest force of gravity that is distributed along that event horizon area, that discretion disk. Now, if you look at a galaxy or our spiral galaxy, the Milky Way, you have all the matter and energy that kind of coalesces in the center and then distributes outwards in kind of like this, this teardrop in each direction, right? Basically it's a torus, 
It's right. the middle of a torus that is overflowing. But what's actually happening there is you have this centralization of gravity from that parallel line that goes out there. And all the arms of the galaxy center all the density towards the center of the areas and then distribute it less and less outward. Well, our solar system moves through what's known as the Orion arm of the galaxy. So our solar system goes like this as it orbits around the galaxy. So this means that our solar system goes through seasons. It goes through a negative polarization season. It goes through a positive polarization season. We can call this one winter. We can call this one spring and fall, and we can call this one summer. And not only that, as it goes through these points of high density, because that's where all the high energy particles, ionized particles, all the dense gases actually are towards the center of that arm in the Milky Way galaxy. And so our solar system goes through high energy fields from the negative, high energy fields to the positive, and then comes back down and does that all over again. And our is solar- that, Is that what okay. creates pole shifts? Yeah, absolutely. Pole shifts? Exactly, is when we transition, the sun has to flip its pull, and the sun is continuously flipping its polarity over and over and over again. But you mm -hmm. have kind of a, within your heliopause, you have a uh, containment of ionization that actually occurs within the sun. And so we have our sun that's putting off negatively charged ions, right? Why isn't it putting off? Where's the positively charged ions? Where are they going? Right. And, and so we do have this polarization shift, but within the galaxy, we also have cosmic ray bombardment. And one of the main factors in global climate change, quote unquote, is has nothing to do with man-made climate change it actually has everything to do with space weather one thing that we notice is that during solar minimums is we have an increase in the amount of cloud cover on this planet the increase in cloud cover comes about because we have an increase of cosmic ionized particle bombardment of our planet because we don't have the solar stream pushing those ionized particles out so the earth itself produces more moisture in the atmosphere more clouds in the atmosphere and pours more water and heavy gases up into the atmosphere to block the ionized particles coming from outside of our solar system. Okay. And then during the solar maximum, that decreases. We have more blue skies, more clear skies, more crisp skies. We have less gases, uh, um, heavy gas particles in the atmosphere. And then we have more of a solar radiation bombardment onto this planet. And we like to think of these as the Aurora Borealis and the, the Northern Lights. And then sometimes we get CMEs. Well, every time that we have a large CME, it usually takes about a day to two to three days for that to get here. Uh, about a week before that happens, you're usually going to have an earthquake on the planet. Wow. A week? About a week after. A week. You have a week an earthquake a week before every CME? Every major CME that's going to hit our planet, you will usually have an earthquake. From what I've seen and from what we've talked about here is you're going to have an earthquake about one to two weeks before that occurs and about one to two weeks afterwards. And what that oh. is, is the earth, if it, the earth isn't adjusted appropriately in its electromagnetic field, it will produce the earthquake to alleviate or increase pressure on the core at a certain point to increase the magnetic field to the point where it believes that that main burst of solar energy is going to hit the planet at that point in time. And then it'll reflop back to a point of balance and homeostasis a few weeks later by another earthquake, alleviating pressure on another end, which will increase pressure on a different side. So it's a hydraulic system if you want to look at it like that. That's incredible. Yeah. And, yep. that, and this is a good question that she just asked. I noticed the same thing. And I even said it to him, like the sun just, it looks and feels so white instead of like the normal yellow. Is that because we're in a maximum? We are actually in one of the strongest solar maximums on record right now. Right. Not only that, is we're going to be. 
the sun feels like lately yeah. it's like it hurts almost it's like it's so white and, and strong and it's not normal it doesn't feel normal well, it, it's normal for this planet because what's happening is the sun actually increases or decreases in propensity. Propensity is uh, kind of a strength in context to whatever the driving energy force is. And mm -hmm. so it increases or decreases in propensity dependent upon its position within the galaxy. Mm -hmm. And so if the sun is in a low negative spot, low dense spot that is negatively polarized below the galactic arm, the sun is very weak. That's the same thing as December 21st on our calendar where the sun is at it's the shortest day of the year. You know, a lot of people look at this as contradiction. They say, you know, the if you ask somebody, why is December 21st the shortest day of the year in the Northern Hemisphere? They'd be like, because the sun is really far away. Actually, that's the closest that we actually get to the sun. There's, there's aphelion and perhelion. Okay, aphelion and perhelion are the, the points of our orbit to where we're furthest and um, closest to the sun. And so aphelion is where we are closest to the sun, and that is between December 19th and December 23rd. And so we are actually coming into the sun, but since the Earth is at a 23.5 degree tilt, and it spins on its axis like this, when we come in there, the northern hemisphere is actually up over here. So it is tilted away from the sun, so it gets less sunlight, which makes the days actually shorter. This is how we know the Earth is actually round and going around the sun and all this stuff, is because we can observe it with the cycles of the seasons as what they progress. Yeah, what we're right. experiencing proves the concept. Yeah. Right. And then, so basically what it is though, is we want to look at it as energy states as the earth is going through a very low energy transition during that point. And, you know, we have almost 360 days a year at 365.25 days a year. And if you watch the sun starting on December 25th, if you watch the sun every day and you went out to like your kitchen window and you put a dot at noon where the sun is at the end of the year, uh, when you finish that, little circle that you're creating you're going to have this little shape on your glass and it's called an analemma and let me pull this up right here this is actually what the sun will do oh, wow. and so if you at noon every day right and so what you have is this is summer this is winter and this is your two equinoxes. Equinox is a word that means stand still. This is where they make even. And this is a figure eight that the, that we produce in the sky by um, going around the sun. And so this is aphelion, this is perhelion. And so it's kind of interesting to look at it like that because we don't have a completely circular orbit. We have an oblong orbit. So we kind of have these points where we kind of woo like this. And what actually happens is, is that sun increases one degree every day up till aphelion and then it pauses for three days. And then on winter, it pauses for three days. And, and I always, I always bring around the, it's called astrotheology, right? Is that the, kind of an interesting story and i don't want to offend anybody out there but on december 21st the sun stops rising in the southern hemisphere so it doesn't increase or decrease that one degree every day it stands still okay oh sorry solstice solstice means stand still equinox means equal so solstice means stand still so the sun actually stands still for three days in the sense of that rising one degree and it begins its return on December 25th. 
Now, in ancient Druidic traditions, this was celebrated through the holiday of Yule and various other kind of ancient cultures. They celebrated this, especially the Siberian cults. Now, this is known in stories of uh, anthro uh, astrotheology as on the 21st, the sun dies for three days. It's dead and that it's resurrected on the 25th and the sun is reborn. No way. Sun, oh yeah. And then on the 21st, it's funny because in the Southern, in the Southern hemisphere where the sun sets in the Southern hemisphere on the 21st, it sets on the Southern cross. Wow. Yeah. And, and then there's this whole story of how it all flows through to spring to where what you have is you, for 40 days and 40 nights, um, Saturn rises before the sun in the morning. And Saturn is where we get Saturday, Sabbath, but also Satan. And so for 40 days and 40 nights, the sun and Satan danced in the desert. And then the sun eventually overtakes Saturn in the morning moving to, uh, on its crossover of the Tropic of Capricorn. Um, and then what happens is Venus starts coming up before the sun during that time. And that is the rising of nature. That's in ancient mythology. That's, that's Ishtar. That's Isis. That's uh, Venus. That's Mary. That's all of these fertility goddesses that are rebirthed during that point in time. Um, it, it's, it's a, I've done shows on this stuff. I could, I could, yeah, but anyways, it's it's an interesting story of how all of that stuff works. But these are what has been hidden from us. People, you yeah. know, they don't teach science like that. if you taught science like that. If I was yeah. taught that in eighth grade, earth science, I would have been like, oh my god, that is the coolest thing in the world. And we it's would so ask, remember. and we would ask much. We'd be asking a lot more questions. That's for sure. Yeah, and we would be asking a lot more questions. But what it also shows you is the importance of the sun throughout the year in pertainment to your health, because what's actually happening um, is that your body is being depleted of various minerals and vitamins throughout the year. And this is why our ancestors would always go out there and pack the energy dense, dense meats and foods and sugary foods and these types of things during the winter times when they were knew they were going to be in deficiency. And this is why nature has this vibrancy of bringing all these things back during the springtime and that we need to go back and remember this, that the reason why those fruits are way out in the middle of the woods and stuff like that is because we were meant to walk out there with our arms and our legs shown to get all of that sunlight absorbed into our system that produce that vitamin D and all those critical other elements that our body needs to absorb to go out there, to take in that nutrition, to strengthen our immune system, to make us the best at who we could actually be. And we've lost a lot of those ways. You know, when I was getting out of the military, I was getting an eye exam. I must've taken too much mushrooms tonight. <laughs> when I was getting out of the, when I was getting, I've been doing this like, like I did an hour monologue last night, but uh, <laughs> when I was getting out of the military, I was getting an eye exam. And before I went in there, I had this thought in my head and I'm like, I, I was driving, I was in the military, I'm driving to work and I see this Eagle. And I like, I noticed that the Eagle don't have like eyelids or eyebrows, right? It's just got open eyes. And I'm like, that thing's flying in the sky. It's a hot day. It's like 98 degrees out there. How can that Eagle's eyes be like that exposed to the sun and not be hurt. And then I started looking around and you see other animals and you're like, they're not like not blinking. And they're like, eyes aren't protected from the sun. And I'm like, but ours are. And I'm like, wait a minute here. And then like, you think Cro-Magnon man had these big old brows that protected the eyes from the sun. 
And so I go into the eye doctor and I asked a question. I said, um, can you answer me why human beings never evolved to be completely adjusted to the sun of this planet? We get burned by UV radiation. We can't look straight into the, the, into the sun. Every other animal that lives during the daytime can go outside. It can be out there in the natural elements, completely naked, absorb all the sunlight it wants. It can look directly into the sun for hours upon a day with no hassle except for us. And she says, it must be because at some point in our evolution, we invented hats. And I said, no, I'm being actually serious. She goes, I am too. And, and then someone tried to tell me that there's this theory out there um, in evolution of the, the Sonian man who actually lived in deep wooded areas. And so the sun wasn't able to penetrate those deep wooded areas. And that's why we kind of developed the white skin. And that's why our eyes developed that way. But what's actually been shown is that deep UV radiation that actually burns us penetrates those forest canopies down into the ground and would have had the same primary effect on that. So the only yeah. conclusion that I can come up with is we're just not from this planet. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's the only answer. <laughs> it, it is. We're, we're from a planet that's probably one orbit out. I think we're from Well, then you look at the evolution, you, you know, you think about the evolutionary, right? Well, they lived in the deeply wooded. And so they got to the point where they they weren't exposed to that. But then you look at people that lived in other areas and how they all have very similar characteristics based yeah. off of the region that they came from. But here's the thing, like they're so different. Like it's mm -hmm. not like, I don't even, I can't even fathom it being a mutational thing because it's not, it doesn't make any sense. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And blood types, where do mm -hmm. all the different blood types oh, come oh, from? Don't get me started there. How hey. are there quite blood types? It makes no sense. Well, how about this? Have you ever read um, any of the kind of Southern American authors books from the late 1800s, early 1900s, or any of the European authors, a lot of the fiction? Mark Twain comes to mind. You know, you notice how there's a lot of orphanages around? Raggedy Annie, all these little things, all, all types of, there's orphanages all throughout the United States, all throughout Europe during the late 19th century and early 20th century. The question I have is, where the fuck are all the parents? I know. Where were they? And why is it until mid-1920s, or the yeah, the mid-1920s, that we discover that there's a certain protein in uh, in the blood that basically produces a stillborn when you have Rh negative, Rh positive people come together? What happened to all the medical history for 500 years before that point in time, not mentioning that once? Ever. And, <laughs> yeah. Well, and then he, and here's the, who, anybody good at math? You guys good at math? He is. <laughs> okay. Take this in the context. In the year 1900, the estimated population of the planet was 1 billion people. Okay. Between 1900 and 1954, over 500 million people on this planet were killed through World War One, World War II, pandemics, as well as the rise of communism. Okay. Now, with knowing the churn rate of humanity between 1900 to 1954 and our current population of 8.5 billion, each family starting in the year 1900 would have to have eight kids. Those kids would have to have eight kids. Those kids would have to have eight kids. And those kids would have to have eight kids through four generations. And that'd have to be every single human being on the planet to now equivalent to 8.5 billion people on the planet today. 
we literally talked about this last night. We were like, with all the genocides, with yeah. all the pandemics, and how are there 8 billion people today? It yeah. makes no sense. It's probably a lie. Yeah. Well, and, and there's another one in there. And you go to the Black Plague, right? So the yeah. Black Plague that ra ravaged through Europe, you know, like, what, what is it? They say 750 or 1.5 million people died. Mm -hmm. uh, what's interesting is you have the French catacombs, the Paris catacombs. And these yeah. are catacombs that exist underneath Paris. Now, mm -hmm. you only have about uh, six <laughs> square miles of the catacombs that are actually excavated. You have 30 square miles of catacombs and they're all very much similar. They all have femurs and fumers and skulls all arranged in nice, neat patterns. Okay. Mm -hmm. And this happens because um, during the black plague, the 10 priests of one of the churches out there, they were the Jesuits. Um, they, the cemeteries were overflowing bodies. So they would take the bodies and burn them and then take the bones into the catacombs and they would arrange them in amazing patterns and various different symmetries and like femurs on this wall, skulls in this wall, they'd produce symbology, all these different types of things. Um, and I can show you pictures of this. And, and what's interesting about this, the French catacombs and uh, kind of, give you an idea this is a picture from the french catacombs right that's a picture from the french catacombs right there yeah i'll, I'll put up a different one here let me see give me here here we go there you go so those are those are femurs right there those are skulls right there and they're all nicely aligned now wow. it's estimated that there's about three million people in that six square miles of french catacombs okay Three million people. Now, this was a 10-year plague that occurred. Okay. So 10-year plague, three million people. Here's the thing. Is those bones just like that stretch the entire 30 square miles. So if you use six square miles, three million people, put a multiple of five on top of that because you get the 30, then mm -hmm. with three million people, that's about 15 million people buried in the French catacombs. Well, the problem is, is the entire population of Europe during that time in the 1500s was 3 million. The population of Paris, and these people were just from Paris, was 300,000. Where did you get 15 million people from? There's something seriously wrong with our history. And there's questions that need to be asked and questions that need to be answered. Yeah. I mean, even U.S. history isn't taught correctly. Mm. You know, um, I love this one. I love red pilling people. I love just kind of like <laughs> shit, throwing some shit out there. Um, there was a company during the uh, late 1700s, and they were one of the prime financiers of the American Revolution. They actually are the ones who helped fund France's involvement in the American Revolution against really King George and the Bank of England. Um, kind of interesting story is a gentleman by the name of Alexander Hamilton at the time of the American Revolution was 19 years of age. I mean, this is like us going out there and getting a 19-year-old and bringing him into our group and be like, lead the party, dude. Let's do this. And it just doesn't make much sense with little you know bitches that we have today yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> but they bring this guy in but you realize why they bring him in later because his uncle happens to be a lord in scotland 
This is Lord Hamilton. And Lord Hamilton was the second chairman of the board to this company known as the East India Company. And they were the ones that gave $10 million to fund the first American treasury in 1792. This is their flag. Does it look familiar? Mm-hmm. Alternating red and white stripes. Obviously, you have the Union Jack, which changed the stars. But that is actually the first flag of the Union. And so before Betty Ross went out there and did the 13 colony stars in, in a nice little circle, we had the Union Jack up there. And that was the first flag of the Union um, during the Revolutionary War. And so we had the flag of the East India Company as our flag in our country. Why? Because they funded the war because the Bank of England and the King of England were taxing their business enterprises in India and overseas on various British colonies. And they didn't like that. And they didn't want anything to do with that. So they wanted to create their own country as a mechanism to where they wouldn't have to pay all these taxes to somebody who's not involved in any of their business dealings. And by the way, the East India Company was one of the uh, big proponents of bringing opiates throughout the world into the United States, as well as the Asian slave, the Scottish, uh, the Irish slave trade and the African slave trade into the United States. So the East India Company funded the revolution. Yeah, funded the, the, the Patriots, the founding fathers. Oh, like I said, people don't know our history. And, and how about this is that that company, that company disbanded in the year of 1871. Oh, that's an or, interesting year. Organic Act of 1871, the same uh, year that the U.S. incorporated in London, in Rome, and in every municipality in the current country state. And form this new entity. And then what you have is you ever heard of like the Illuminati bloodlines? This is where all the robber barons come out, all the railroad tracks and the bankers. And, and who are they? You had the American aristocracy. The American aristocracy were the family deviations of the East India Company. These were the members of the old British East India Company that had basically disbanded, took place in the United States, went and funded all the railroads. Um, a lot of people talk about um, uh, what is it? Uh, the uh, Marie Antoinette's son who left and he actually came to America. His name, last name was Paysour. And this is uh, our friends in the Matrix talk about this. Uh, actually, I think that that is a cover story for the East India Company. Because what happened is the East India Company actually came into the United States during that time. And they are the ones that f- helped fund the Western expansion. They are the ones that helped fund all the rise of railroad tracks and, and bringing in the banks. They're the ones that try to take out Andrew Jackson when he didn't want to bring in a centralized bank. They're the ones that most likely got rid of Abraham Lincoln when he was uh, trying to get rid of the South. Well, trying to after he defeated the South, but basically because Abraham Lincoln did something that the East India Company specifically wouldn't have liked. And that was that many people don't know this little tidbit about history. There's a book out there called The Real Lincoln, Real Lincoln. And now I'm going to forget the author's name. I read it many years ago. Uh, But The Real Lincoln and what it talks about is the economic aspect of the Civil War that many people to look at is the North had been long kind of phasing out slavery during that time. And they were starting to trade and bring imports in over from Europe and England, 
Now, it cost a lot of money to do this during that time. And the American system didn't have a central banking system. And you'd have to get everything approved through Congress and then Treasury. And it was just a long, drawn out process. And through executive order, it was very easy for Abraham Lincoln to basically declare that I can go out there and take loans through treaty negotiations with the Bank of England. And so what they would do is they would go out there and they'd get Eli Whitney or the Holcomb Cotton Gin from Europe. They would take the loans to export them and produce them out through the Bank of England and then have them shipped to the United States of America. And this process worked really well, except the South didn't like it. The South said, you are lending money from our enemy over in England. This is why the American Revolution was fought a hundred years ago. The South then came and said that we're not taking those loans out. And Lincoln came back and said, no, you are going to take out those loans and you're going to phase out slavery and you're going to start bringing in this new farm equipment that we have over in Europe because that was the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. Well, the South basically told Lincoln that goes to shove it. F off. We want nothing to do with you. They disbanded Congress. The Civil War ends up happening. The North wins. We go into these relationships with England all over again. And this is what happens from there is you get the 13th and the 14th Amendment. 14th Amendment being the Dred Scott Act, which comes out of this. And the 13th Amendment, basically talking about slavery, uh, has nothing to do with the slavery of African-Americans or slaves during that time. It has everything to do with you and me. The 13th and the 14th Amendment, two most destructive amendments in the United States Constitution. The 13th Amendment says that neither slavery nor servitude shall be utilized as a force of, uh, a source of punishment. Okay. What's the opposite of slavery? Freedom. What's the opposite of involuntary servitude? Voluntary servitude. Another word for voluntary servitude is contractual law. Okay? Mm -hmm. So contractual law can only happen between two business entities or two persons, which are legally contracted entities. Okay? Mm -hmm. So this is leading up to the Act of 1871. Yeah. Well, now you have the Dred Scott Act. Dred Scott was a man in Rochester, New York, where I'm from. He goes out there and he tries to get a job. And they say, no, we're not hiring you. He goes out there and he tries to open a business. They said, no, we're not giving you paperwork. And they're like, hey, guys, you got to do business with him. They're like, no, we don't. He might be a free man, but he has no right to do business. And so they created the 14th Amendment, which states that all persons born in the United States are citizens of the United States and fall under the state of which their jurisdiction came about from and have the privileges and immunities of that state privileges and not rights, freedoms, and liberties, privileges mm -hmm. and immunities. And the key word there is persons, all persons born. And you probably heard the thing of a, a contract that you, you know, admiralty law, a ship pulls into the birth, the sh ship is born. There's a certificate of manifest, right? Mm -hmm. The ship just manifests there one day. It's a birth certificate. There's a, a doc, a doc master who is known as the doctor that would come and sign the certificate of manifest admiralty mm -hmm. law. Well, this is what we're talking about here. And so the word person, if you actually go back to the Fourth Amendment, the Fourth Amendment says all people have the right to be secure in their persons, as defined by the United States Constitution. A person defined by the Fourth Amendment is a contractual state, a fictitious entity of who you represent. The Fourteenth Amendment says all persons born in the United States. That means that all fictitious entities created by the United States are citizens of the United States and fall under the jurisdiction and have rights and privileges. 
Ah, so now it's a catch-all under contractual through the 14th Amendment. This is why when Indiana University four years ago went to sue the, or not Indiana University, but it was the people versus Indiana University tried to sue them and took it to the Supreme Court about COVID vaccinations because the students didn't want to get COVID vaccines. Amy Comey Barrett, a very conservative Supreme Court justice, came out and said that the they tried to sue, sue under the 14th Amendment, said, nope, the 14th Amendment absolutely protects the state's rights to vaccinate you. And the reason is, is because you have privileges and immunities. You have no rights, freedoms, and liberties under the 14th Amendment because you are a you are a fictitious entity, a contracted entity derived through the state, not a free natural human being as derived through the declaration from your creator as what we are all led to believe. And so this system has been in place for a very long time. Now, Abe Lincoln was killed because basically he allowed that system to be created and the aristocracy in the United States didn't really like that because they were losing control, even though they had the billions and billions of dollars. Now, this culminates in the 1900, the year 1900, uh, 1893 to be specific, when Garfield is shot dead in Buffalo, New York. I think it was Garfield. And his VP becomes president, and that's Teddy Roosevelt. Now, Teddy Roosevelt is direct descendants from uh, other types of bloodlines from the United States, and much of them being the Astor family. So you have the Waldorf Astoria, you have the Astor family, which is a, a European and American dynasty, more American because they came over with the East India Company in the early 1800s and helped to establish a lot of the interbanking system as well, the rail systems. And it was the Astor family, the Roosevelt's, and a lot of these, the, the Kennedys later on, Kennedys are Roosevelt's, by the way, that actually ran and owned America, and they were the pirates of the East India Company who helped build this. Well, the coup began to form during that time, leading up to the Federal Reserve, where the Federal Reserve, you guys are, you all know what happened to the Titanic 1913, right? Went on its maiden voyage, J.P. Morgan sends out 10 invitations, only two people show up, Guggenheim and Astor, John Jacob Astor, the same guy who helped um, get Roosevelt in office by having the president killed in Buffalo. And we know this because John Jacob Astor, after the president died in Buffalo, got shot in the chest, he had sent a letter to Teddy Roosevelt congratulating him on his new position as president. The problem is, is John Jacob Astor was in New York City. Roosevelt was in Washington, D.C., which is about back then with, uh, you know, vehicles and boats and trains and all that stuff. It's still a day's worth of mail away, but it got there within an hour. And so that means that he had to send it the day before to get it there on time, which he knew that the president was going to die and Roosevelt got in and Roosevelt kept everything all good for about eight years. Um, and then we have um, Bill Clinton's uncle come in and uh, this guy kind of ruins up everything. This is when Roosevelt creates the bull moose party, runs his third party candidate. Woodrow Wilson comes in, runs against them, ends up winning the same thing as Ross Perot, George Bush, Bill Clinton, that whole same scenario played out. And the, the Bill the Bill Clinton won, Woodrow Wilson. He comes in. He allows the Federal Reserve to take place. They kill off Astor. They kill off Guggenheim, where are two of the American families that helped build it out through the East India Company. They killed them, and now the banking European banking cartels take over the United States of America at that point in time. And that's when all the fun really begins in the sense of conspiracy. Wow. What can <laughs> That's I good stuff. Can I ask something that yeah. stuck out? So when the when what was the East India Company's relationship with the Vatican then? Um so 
there's a lot of kind of variation in here. So number one is the East India Company. Think about them as pirates. Um, so in, in the Bible, you have the Canaanites, which become the Phoenicians. Um, and, and they were the pirates of the Mediterranean, then of the ocean. And they did a lot of piracy. They would, uh, you know, go place usury on kingdoms and take over kingdoms and get kicked out. Well, they finally settled in Rome. So the ancient Phoenicians settled in Rome and they became what we call today as the black church. And this is what Archbishop Vigano has been talking about as the black church that is operating, like the, like the deep church or the black church that is operating. And this is that old kind of piracy caste system of usury, the old Phoenicians that are sought and hell bent on power, money, and control. Um, now, the East India Company, um, I, I, it's like a branch of them, a tribe of them, but very, very different that they wanted their own thing. They wanted to branch off from this system and structure. Not that they were good. I don't think that they were good in any way, shape, or form, but they had power and control here, and they liked their power and control here, and they wanted the European dynasties to kind of just go away and get the hell out of the way. Um, mm. And unfortunately, that's not what happened. They ended up getting defeated. And what we see in the 20th century is everything begin unraveling. And it was interesting because not a lot of people talk about this because when the Federal Reserve came out, um, it had a 20-year charter with the United States. So it was never a permanent solution. Okay, so 1913 means that 1933 would have been that 20-year anniversary. Now, what was happening is the Federal Reserve was loaning money to the U.S. Treasury and to what's known today as like the inner banks, the Federal Reserve banks. It was loaning money to them, basically interest free to get them utilizing the central banking system. So all these big banks became cash rich, didn't really need it. And so they would loan that money basically interest free to all these smaller banks, which were in Bodunk towns of 50 and a hundred people. It's just nothing but farmers. And, you know, they got all this cash and they're like, Hey, John boy, you need some money. You need a thousand dollar loan. They're like, no, I'm, I'm good. Like, I don't need anything. They're like, well, how about this? Just take it. No interest. Just, just take the money. I need to get rid of it. And they, well, what do I have to do? Well, you, you know, just put up a little collateral, put up your land as collateral. It's interest free. And I'm giving you 10 years to pay it back. Don't worry about it. Right. And they're like, well, you know, I can always grow my farm, buy some new land. And this is what they did in the 20s. This produced the roaring 20s because of the high inflow of cash capitalization from the Federal Reserve that was coming as cheap money. Well, what happened in 1929? The same bankers that produced the Federal Reserve many days before shorted the stock market, producing a catalyst effect. When that catalyst effect actually took place, all those small banks went out of business overnight. And what how they went out of business is because because the larger banks now became um, uh, liable to pay back those higher loans to the Federal Reserve because of the markets were crashing or to the 12 Federal Reserve banks. So they called in all the loans. Well, when you get down to the small boat on banks that loaned the thousand dollars out to John Boy, who put his land up for collateral on a 10 year loan with no interest, John Boy don't have that money. So what do they have to give in return? Collateral. So they lost their land. And so it comes one of the most massive wealth transfers in human history that occurred in 1929 with the collapse of the stock market. And this is why we entered into the Great Depression. And interestingly enough, just four years later, 1933, is when the Emergency Banking Acts actually came about to where we get 
Uh, House Joint Resolution 129. House Joint Resolution 129 actually created Federal Reserve notes. Now, this is interesting because the 1792 Coinage Act actually determines what a dollar is. Okay, a dollar is determined to be, I think it's, okay, I, I was incorrect the other day. I think it's 381 grams of pure silver equivalent to a Spanish dollar. Okay. Now that is what a basically money is. And here's the thing in the declaration or in the United States constitution, there is nothing in there that gives Congress the right to define what money is. Money is defined in 1792 in the coinage act. We never gave Congress the ability to redefine what money is or can be, but they have since 1933, starting with house joint resolution 129, where they basically say this private organization on this federal reserve is going to have something known as a federal reserve note. And this is going to be based upon the value of gold going off of, um, Going off of all the gold accumulated in the United States, which they took as collateral because the United States had gotten all this debt of all this money that was interest free that now got called in. They had to pay it back. So what happened? The Federal Reserve went out there, confiscated all the gold, brought it in, and then reloaned that money as Federal Reserve notes and took over control. And that's when they started pumping into the systems. We entered the Bretton Woods Agreement and the economy begins taking off after World War II. And you have this big reset, economic, social, and political. And the, the world goes into a good 40, 50 years of massive progress. Yeah. And now we're back at that 90-year cycle, 80, 90-year cycle again, where that whole system is flipping. We're having a, a reset of our political, our social, mm -hmm. and our um, financial systems all over again because that system is old and antiquated and the same players are there just now replugging in doing exactly the same thing they're going to do a wealth transfer and they're mm -hmm. going to do a depopulation event like a world war and a pandemic and all these types of things the rise of communism during those points in time from 1930 to 1954 killed hundreds of millions of people globally they're going to do all of that again because that's what they do every 90 years because that's their mo like you're talking about their playbook never changes changes <clears throat> well well shit we went over our 30 minute part of narrative <laughs> yeah we went over our 30 minute narrative just a little bit um <laughs> damn i i um for everybody out there, i'm sorry like i um i didn't have much news to go through tonight um i, I did want to talk about this one story though because this has something to do with what we were talking about earlier uh massive number of dead fish washing up along the coast of northern japan all right. And so th th many people are saying this has to deal with Fukushima. It doesn't. I came out and said, uh, dead fish wash up on the coast of Japan. This could be an indicator of huge earthquake inbound. Various types of acoustic waves that are produced prior to earthquakes can kill large amounts of fish. This phenomenon has been observed many times in the past. And we've had two various earthquakes off the coast of the Philippines with tsunami warnings in Japan, especially a 7.2 earthquake that just happened last week in the Philippines. And so it's my indication that we're going to have an earthquake somewhere in or around Japan. And it's just funny that this is, this happens, this potentially could happen right after Japan fires up this new nuclear reactor to replace Fukushima. Um, I just find that highly coincidental and, and interesting. Um, we have, and, and just so everybody out there, we have Biden talking about sending American troops to Europe. Because Putin, he's going to give the gift that keeps on giving. He's going to go through Ukraine. He's going to go to France and Germany. And he's going to, he's going to be the new Hitler and take over Europe. It's all 
bullshit, guys. Yeah. Putin wants nothing to do with Europe, could care less about Europe. It's not happening. But when Biden or anybody of that nature is warning you of the threats in this in this world, be damn sure that those threats are real because they're the ones who are going to bring them about. And it's not going to be Russia. It's going to be the deep state. It's going to be the cabal. It's going to be the, the people behind the scenes pulling the strings. And they're going to do it any way, shape, or form that they actually can. And so that means that you must go out there. You must get prepared. Go on over and visit Pet Club 247. That link is right there, redpills.tv slash mushroom. If you want to get the human version of those mushrooms, if you want to check out the pet products, right there, really easy, redpills.tv slash pets. For all my subscription members on socialredpill.com, we'll be going to After Dark Chat in about, it starts in, in seven minutes, but I'll be there in about 15 minutes. Give me a few minutes. I gotta tuck my kids in the bed. Uh, then I'll be on over there. We'll start that After Dark Q&A on Thursday night and then After Dark Chat right after that. Uh, Kurt and Kristen, thank you guys so much for staying and listening to me rant yeah. and tell stories. I absolutely love it. It's it's That's fantastic. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. We will Thanks. talk to everybody else again. Have a great night. See you guys next time. Thanks night, for everyone. having us. Good night, everyone. Try and bend the spoon. That's impossible. Only try to realize the truth. What truth? There is no spoon.